joy of aquatics. It is a fantastic day here in Rocky. It is raining. It's so good to see the rain, but it does make podcasting a little bit harder. So I am wrapped up under a blanket. Fun times. Now, today's guest is Alina Graham. Now, Alina is from All About Aquatics. She runs a pool out in Quilpie. She has, oh, oh my goodness, Alina, you have so much knowledge in this industry and especially with Learn to Swim. So, Alina, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be on again. Yes, it's great to have you back. Um, Today, everyone, what we are talking about is programming. Now, we've had a series of conversations. We started with Sarah Morris. We moved on to Chris Dellett. Um, And then we then spoke with Chris and her boys about programming. And the main themes that are coming through is that they've developed their program by watching kids and slowly making tweaks over time. They have a big focus on values, which I think are really, really important in programming. But I think there's also a lot more involved with um, developing a program. Now, I know Chris did speak about a little bit more than that. She spoke about knowing the end result and, and really making sure that one skill builds onto another. But what I really want to do today is talk to Alina about the ins and outs of how she's developed her program. Now, I've had a great chat with her over the weekend. We got stuck into some really good information. And I guess what I want her to share with you all is just how in-depth writing a program can actually be. And I find that some of the best programs go into this much depth. Um, and have this much knowledge behind them as well. So, Alina, I know I said it before, but welcome. Thank you so much for coming back. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, Alina, do you just want to give us a bit of a quick rundown on your skills and experiences and, and I guess, your expertise in, in program writing? Okay. Well, we'll try to keep it short for you. Um <laughs> I guess my background is uh, 30 years in the aquatic industry, um, but I have um, a degree in physical education and a master's degree where I specialise in child development. So um, I guess the years of doing all of that, I've been able to bring all those skills and knowledge into the aquatics world and in particular the learners in world. Uh, so a lot of my programs that I've developed uh, come from, yes, experience, but then linking it to the knowledge I've gained through all the different things that I've learned, even to points of learning new uh, NLP, new linguistic programming. So it's, it's really taking everything that I've learned and bringing it in to get the end result that we're all looking for, but uh, to make it individualised or personalised to the swimmer and also to get there as quick as we can because we want our swimmers as safe as safer as, or get to be safer in the water quickly at different ages and things like that. Okay. All right. So what's really gone into your program then? How did you develop it? Uh, there's a lot of different layers and I guess perspectives I come from. Um, and the first thing I really look at is, is where I'm coming from as, you know, being a swim instructor and, in, and my impact on writing these programs. So one of my biggest drivers is actually um, the drowning stats. So every single year when Royal Life Saving Australia put, like, puts out the, the drowning stats, I actually stop and read everything that's in that. And I was over 
you know, 30 odd years, we've gone from a one page document to I'm not sure how long this one was, but it's the longest one I've ever seen. Oh, it was um, amazing, wasn't it? I know. And, and yeah. the detail, the statistics they're coming out with is just a, it's great because yeah. we as swim instructors have a direct impact on that. So it's about looking at that and going, well, what am I doing to keep up with these statistics in terms of am I still doing things that can actually help decrease the, these statistics? So that's a really big drive for me, uh, doing what I do in general, but also then feeds into my programming, particularly with my different age groups. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. All right. So your drowning stats, you look at that every year. What else? Okay, the next thing uh, I look at is I'm a big lover of principles of moving water. So mm -hmm. I have a very diverse uh, science background and love that science thing. So, you know. I think that's why we get on so well, Alina. I love that topic as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. For me, it's, I'm all about how we move, um, you know, coming from a phys ed background and, and enjoying the human body and, and what it does and what it can do is that, you know, I really want to understand how we actually move in the water and how we actually are physically change everything just by being in water. So, so not necessarily moving. So simply by just getting in water, how do things change for us? Which means how we move completely changes our thought processes changes like our our concept of you know when we're a kid if we take two feet feet off the ground we fall over but in water if we take two feet off the ground we float so what yeah. does that do from us not just from a physical perspective but from a thought process and and anxiety and fear and uh, spatial awareness so it's really important that we have a great in-depth understanding of the effects of water on our body and what it does yes. because that impacts greatly on our beginner swimmers yeah yeah actually i've just finished writing a 45 minute presentation where i talk about how do we teach the principles of movement in water so you've touched on something that is so very dear to me because so many people are afraid of it and when you actually drill down into the science and if someone can explain that science to you very well it's it's easy and then it's beautiful and then it's easy for the children to draw connections with what they've learnt around the principles of movement in water into other aspects of their swimming so the higher levels become easier because they've learnt the foundation absolutely and you know you look at what most people fear about water and it's actually the water itself because um, they use it for drinking they use it for showers but they often don't use it in a recreational mode like we do yeah. so a fear is about this whole big body of water and they actually don't know anything about it mm -hmm. so what our job as instructors is to teach them about water, which essentially teaching them about the principles of it and what it does when you're in it. How does it feel? Like I say to my kids, I said, okay, well, how does water feel? And they go, well, wet. I go, well, that's great. But is that wet the same as the wet in the shower? It's a completely different sensation of what wet means. Yeah. So it's really talking to our swimmers and, and teaching them what water is and what it does and how it affects our body. Yeah. Yeah, so for the teachers out there that are like, um, principles of movement in water, uh, yeah, not my greatest topic, 
this is where we're talking about how gravity affects us when we're in water, how buoyancy affects us when we're in water, the resistance, propulsion, um, even pressure. You remember learning about those things in your course. These are the things that we actually need to go on and teach our students. So principles of movement in water. Yeah, awesome. So that's one of my fave areas and I definitely do bring it into uh, all my levels, whether it be um, learn to swim or my, you know, squat, high squads yeah. um, levels, at a higher levels. It doesn't matter what, or even in my aquatic classes, um, you know, even doing aqua, we bring mm -hmm. it into any involves water. So yeah. um, if we understand the principles that we can actually literally teach anything in an aquatic environment. Yeah, yeah. It's so awesome. I just, I absolutely love that, that part of swimming. I think if I had known that when I was younger, I would have been a better swimmer. Yeah. All right. I, that's why I'm such a lazy swimmer because I know I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to work harder for a very short period of time, so I'll make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, you've talked about the drowning stats. You've talked about principles of movement in water. What else goes into your programming? Um, definitely the developmental mind milestones um, is understanding, particularly with obviously our, our younger kids, our infant program and our two threes, we really need to understand the devel developmental side um, of that because it really determines the skills that we actually teach them and I guess the out well not, not I guess, but the outcomes that they can do. So, you know, we can teach all different age groups uh, to jump in off the side, but we know that certain kids at certain age can't jump um, and they can't turn around, so they need greater support. So we're looking at that physical developmental thing. Um, mm -hmm. Really, really important. I, I'm a strong believer that um, every swim instructor, regardless of what level they're teaching at, should actually be learning this because I've taught adults that still have reflexes that aren't fully integrated into their system. So it means that uh, their ability to turn their head is being a little bit harder because the, the other opposite side of the body is contracting when they're trying to lengthen. So it, it's really understanding that not, well, actually every single one of us have reflexes that haven't been integrated properly. So when we do a, such a complex skill like swimming, it then can actually show up yeah all right that makes sense to me but can you just let everyone know about the integrating of reflexes because from my understanding it's if um well as we grow and develop our reflexes sort of drop away as we no longer require them but that sometimes that doesn't happen yeah so what essentially it is so we're born with over 70 neonatal reflexes Yep. And then by about the age of three, uh, it is uh, it is sort of understood that most of it's integrated into the system. But for what it means by integrated, it becomes a natural it becomes a natural movement or a automatic response. It's not reflexive where you get a sensory input and then your body reacts a certain way. We have a desensitized. I can't speak today. This is the of that sensory input, um, which means we can control our reactions, or we can we can make a response rather than a reaction. Yeah. So what 
when we don't get an interactive, integrated reflex is that we haven't been exposed to the stimuli or movement that allows that reflex to be integrated. So, you know, when babies all we'd be making as much noise as we can around them, even when they're sleeping, because we're trying to uh, integrate the startle reflex in them. So what happens is that they go, oh, yeah, that's just noise, I can still sleep. Whereas if we keep it perfectly quiet all the time, if they hear a sudden bang or they get, you know, light or something like that, they actually go into a reflex, which down the track can cause anxiety in kids, um, a lot of those different, like there's a whole list of things that um, you can start seeing kids because these reflexes are not integrated. Okay, that's interesting. So you've just, I guess you've just sort of sparked a memory for me back of my old physiology days where a reflex, um, the, the, the stimulus doesn't make it all the way back to the brain. It sort of goes up to the next, like a ganglia and then it fires the muscles without it going to the brain. Um, yep. And then once it's integrated, then that stimulus goes all the way to the brain and we can make a reaction instead of a reflex. Yeah, yeah. Which then actually we want to create into a response rather than a reaction. So yeah. it's almost like you're three yards, it starts as a reflex, it then goes as in a reaction and then becomes a response. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes on there. Oh, wow. absolutely. So, you know, and that's where you've got kids that, that haven't had these reflexes integrated and then all of a sudden, you know, you put them into the water, which has a heightened sensory input, the feel of the water, but also it's actually a very unbalanced environment. So if they haven't got their startle reflex or their tonic neck reflex uh, integrated, they're going to be in constant startle reaction and you'll see them where their hands will, and arms will go out and they um, they become stiff and that's not a good position to be in the water. No, so, not. So it's just noticing those things and, and understanding that, you know, particularly kids nowadays, I am going to generalise here, is because they're not moving as much as they were, um, finding that that, you know, possibly could be one of the reasons why we have a greater anxiety issue is because we're, we're not having kids moving therefore their integration of some of these reflexes into their system is not as strong as what our previous generations have been yeah mm, that's a lot to think about oh it is the cognitive and social side of the development um which is how kids learn to think um and i throw another one in there as well i have a brother and sister-in-law that are behavioral optometry so they um, do a lot of work, obviously, with kids. And I, I've always been interested in that because anything that's going to help me teach kids to learn better. And it's really interesting that we really have to take into consideration their visual development as well. Yeah. So, you know, their ability to see is they're not born with um, eyesight. They're actually born with the ability to see what you just call ocular vision. So... They need to learn how to see. And that's really interesting for us in a water environment because we're all of a sudden, again, taking away a lot of their visual and they're trying to see underwater and trying to find the edge of the water. So there's so many different layers of the visual development that comes with 
discipline as well, particularly depth perception and that sort of stuff, is that, you know, when I'm designing my program, uh, and particularly in my teaching methods, it's like, okay, well, when I'm teaching a kid to go to the side of the pool, um, I actually have a conversation about with them about what they see, what happens as they move away, what happens as they get closer. Wow. That's quite in-depth. Yes. And I've actually written a, a session on that many, many years ago that I've delivered at OzSwim um, about, it, you know, it's it, visual and how it impacts in our aquatic world and some of the tips and things that we need to do to actually teach our kids that what they see is not what they see. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we've now talked about drowning stats, principles of movement in water, and developmental milestones and how they affect our cognitive, social, um, emotional development. And we've just touched on visual development as well. What else? Is there anything else or is that it? No, oh, there's definitely more. Okay. <laughs> you know me enough. You know me enough. There's, there's going to be a holistic approach to this. So yes. yeah. um, honestly, one of the big things we learn um, when we're becoming a swim teacher is these are the skills that you teach at this level yeah uh, i've always been a, a why person i go well why yeah so what why am i teaching that that way why am i teaching it at this level and that's where you know all this study for me has come in is because well we're teaching this here because of this developmental milestone or we're languaging it this way because this child is this type of learner so yeah. um it's it, yes it's knowing the skills that you need to teach at each different level but it's really understanding why we're teaching it and why we teach this skill before the next one um so it's, it's definitely the sequencing of the skills is a, a big understanding that um but understanding all the the principles of movement under the water you know b- behind it you know what's happening under the water like classic is you know why do we find that teaching breaststroke is really really hard to uh, or breaststroke kicks, it's hard to younger kids is because they actually don't have um, a tall enough body for the water to support them so they can sit higher in the water so they can just focus on their legs. Whereas when they're younger, because they're smaller in stature, they're spending half their time, time trying to stay up yeah. in the water. Hence why they throw in a freestyle kick in between each breaststroke kick movement. Yeah. So for me as an instructor... I don't care about that extra little freestyle kick mm-hmm. if they're shorter in stature because to me it's just a part where they're trying to maintain balance yeah. while learning the actual kick until it gets more powerful and then we go, right, let's take that freestyle kick out of it and see if you can just hold your feet together. Yeah. So we need to have a look at some of the faults that our kids are doing, it may be due to their size and therefore the principles of movement in water. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at those sorts of things. Um, another classic is we teach rocket arms or torpedo arms or whatever we want to call it, streamline arms, there's 60, 60 different names for that, yeah. is that, you know, when our kids grow, our kids' shoulder width uh, gets wider. So our position should actually start to move where our hands always stay in line with our shoulder because that's essentially where we're trying to swim from. Yes, we still need our streamline when we're under the water, but every stroke really comes from uh, that shoulder width position because anatomically, 
that's our strongest point. So yes. isn't that where we want our, our technique to start from? So as my kids grow, their hand position gets wider and wider based on the width of their shoulders. Yeah. And that is the same with backstroke. Yeah. I see that. I, I see that so much with backstroke and, and um, freestyle. Yes, I see it a bit where kids are putting their hands in in front of their head. Um, but backstroke, you see that you see them quite often reaching where their hands are going in in line with the front of their head when their hands should really be going in a shoulder width or yeah and what happens from that yeah yeah absolutely and what happens is we use the classic cue of um scrape your arm past your ear yeah which is fantastic for our little kids because that's the shoulder width they can do that but as our shoulders get wider Obviously, our shoulders or our arm get further from our ear, so yeah. therefore it creates us crossing over midline. Yeah. So I don't use that cue anymore in my teaching. My cue is lift from the shoulder. So they lift their arm straight up from the shoulder, and so therefore it doesn't matter how wide their shoulders are, they're lifting from that point in the body. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's all starting to tie together. Back come your principles of movements in water and development. Yes, absolutely. From your growth perspective, looking at how wide things are, how tall they are, and it's linking because, you know, as we grow, like I've had some, you know, all of us that have been in the industry for a long time, you get those kids that are exceptionally coordinated at a young age and you're sitting there going, I can't teach you anymore. They're stuck. It's like they've hit this plateau. Yeah. And literally what it is is that, You've done an awesome job as a teacher getting them to that point, but you can't take them any further until they grow. Uh -huh. Because that growth then changes how they sit in the water, plus also their coordination, a few other things. So then we have to wait for that happen to take them to the next level. Yeah. I've had a couple of kids like that, and it's so frustrating for the parents because they're like, what's going on? They haven't moved up a level. And I'm like, yep, it's okay. They're amazing. They just need the next growth spurt to happen. It's okay. But in the meantime, these parents are like, well, I'm wasting my money. <laughs> so. Yeah, and the thing is, they're not. You have to say, look, you know, what we're doing is we're actually just refining those skills more. That's right. And it might be, it might be just a matter of um, getting a more controlled movement, so slowing mm -hmm. the, the child down with the movement that, that you already can do and just building a bit more strength in those things. So we have to take a different angle or we have to build the fitness a little bit more. So instead of being able to kick this far, we want them to kick this far. So we need to change what we're focusing on with those those children and no longer becomes about the movement skill. It becomes about how fast they're doing it, how slow they're doing it, how strong they're doing it. So we need to then relanguage that to the parents to explain there in terms of the skill development, they're above yeah. their level. We're going to develop it in different ways because I need them to grow and I can't teach that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from that skill, um, you know, development skills and drills to use and things like that, so it comes in, again, different elements and bringing all your principles of a movement into that skill, bringing all your development into that skill. But also, too, is a big thing for me is that my – how I deliver my programs for my staff is that I go, right, this is the outcome I want you to achieve by the end of this level. 
So what that means then is that if I want them to be able to uh, do a uh, rocket for five metres unassisted, how they get to that outcome is up to them in terms of their skill levels and being able to actually break it. So from that point, depending on the uh, experience of my teacher, I may give them further lesson planning to my beginners. So if I've got new teachers coming in and are learning, they'll get more information and say, well, this is my outcome. This is a couple of ways how you get to this outcome. Whereas my teachers, I know they know how to get there. Off they go. So that allows them a little bit of um, flexibility in their teaching. Like I'm always inventing new things and having fun with the kids. If I can't get a kid to do a certain skill, then we have playtime. I, you know, I stop the lesson a little bit and we go, right, this is not working. I need you to learn this. So let's have some playtime with different things. I stick ducks in their hand. They have to flick them. Um, they have to, you know, do their big arms with the duck and follow the duck. So it, it doesn't really matter what is used to get to that outcome as long as you get to that outcome. Yeah. So it just allows that for teachers to have that, I guess, a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of fun with the kids as well. That little bit of freedom to be creative as they as they see they need it. Well, in the end, it's their body. So my job is not necessarily to teach them the swim as such. My, my job is to teach them to learn about their body in the water. Yeah. Um, so it's about cueing them and go, what happens when you do this? What happens when you do that? So my job is to get them to be more comfortable in the water and, yeah, understand their body. So that's why playtime is really important. They go, oh, when I did this, this happened. You go, awesome. So how can you make this happen? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and that's why it's so important to give the the teachers the freedom to have the creativity to to change things up as they need. Whereas if you're giving teachers a set lesson plan, it can sometimes be really limiting um, for a teacher. Well, it's also limiting for the child because yeah. if that style or that method that you're using is not working. And you have to keep following that same thing. You're actually not capturing that child and not progressing them. And then you'll have more kids in your lessons that aren't progressing because that's one way to teach them. Whereas you need, as we know as teachers, we need 20 different ways to teach the one thing. Um, So I have structure, but I don't have structure. So I have things I want you to work towards, but I don't care if they go off track. Um, if they are trying to do something to get that child to learn that skill. Yes. So it's it, like, like the same thing with the water safety. If I have a kid that we're doing kicking and they fall off a kickboard, to me that's an opportunity to go, okay, here's a water safety uh, skill to learn here. How do you get back onto the kickboard? What do you do? Um, if they're small, it's like, okay, well, the option is the kickboard's uh, gone across their surface of the, the water. It's too far away. So what are your options? You yeah. swim back to the the pool or you can go to the lane rope so I think sometimes we get too rigid with our lesson programming that um, we skip beautiful opportunities for all learning to happen yes yeah I would agree with that and that's one of the reasons why I never handed out lesson plans Um, we had an overarching program where you had by the end of this level you have to have these skills um, 
but I didn't give out lesson plans because I just felt like it took the creativity away from the teachers to use moments like that and and to respond to the children to respond to respond what to what they saw yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and we're in a world of where we want to try and take generic um to personalization we need to can't you know one fit does not one size does not fit all yeah and we try to go into that mold and um, probably my personality is I've never liked to be labelled or put in a box. So I don't like that technique because each of us is individual. So we've got to be able to come up with a way to deliver our programs that we have outcomes, but then personalise what we do. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, and I know it's hard when you've got your big centres and you've got a lot of kids, but there are ways to work within your own boundaries uh, of what you've got in terms of what you've been... Uh, told that you need to teach or what you've lesson planned down there we still need to be allowed to give our teachers to have the flexibility even in what they say um because sometimes it is oh you have to say it this way well you know that might be great for my visual kids but it's not working for my auditory kids or it's not working for my kinesthetic kids so it's being able to master our language that we can cue to all our different learning types at the same time where you get the touch, the hear, the feel in your language. Yep. Yep. Oh, I hear you. I hear you, sister. All right. Well, let's get back to program development. Uh, Is there anything else? We've talked about, um, hang on, drowning statistics, principles of movement in water, developmental milestones, and the specific sequence of the skills. You got anything else up your sleeve? Uh, definitely your teaching uh, methods are really, really important, which obviously brings in your behaviour management. Um, so how you structure your lessons um, and how you deliver that is really important based on the age group as, of, as well as the skills. So, um, you know, I might say, okay, this age group, uh, particularly... Your transition age group, so from, you know, your three-year-olds that are wanting to um, become more independent. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got to change the way you normally run those lessons because you want to start to teach them to be in a more structured class. So, um, yeah, so you just got to try and sort of look at the way that you, you do that because how you deliver it also affects how well they learn too. Yeah. Yeah, so this is really mastering our own pedagogy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We really need to master the way we teach. So. Yeah, absolutely. Our delivery style, our language, our everything. So why do I put that into my lesson planning um, is because it, it's giving, particularly my my teachers an idea that this is a characteristic of things that you'll notice will happen sorry that's okay it's normally me with crows or rain yeah. or you know or buses or something driving past so i'm glad it's not just me no yes my big fella wanted to have a say so <laughs> might just shut that door there um so yeah 
So basically, like every the way we deliver everything is really, really important. And I do stick that into the lesson planning because we could be trying to deliver it a certain way and it's not working and it won't work for that age group. Yeah. So is that a consideration in your programming, though, your overarching program, or just in your lesson plans? I, my overarching program, it used to be just in my lesson plan, but after years of doing it, I would have to say, okay, for this age group, this is the the types of delivery that work best. Not saying it's the be-all, end-all, yeah. but it's, you know, in my everything when you're dealing with these groups of activities, this is the type of uh, delivery style you need and language you need because um, it, it's characteristics for that age group. And, like, if you're doing your uh, stroke development or your kids that have learnt the basis of each stroke, how you language them and how you do it is completely different because you've got a hands-on. So that's where, you know, that, yeah, I do put it in there. I do put it in there because we often forget those little subtle things that we take for granted have a big impact on how quickly we can get children to the outcomes we want. So I'm not... Yeah, to the end product, when I, yeah. When I say quickly, I'm not saying I still do quality, um, but it's about going, well, what's the quickest way I can get that quality outcome? And sometimes it is about how we deliver things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you can see that between teachers. Yep. Not every student is a good match for every teacher. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. So I do, you know, in my programming, I sometimes, uh, in my overarching programming, I guess the next layer is then, okay, which kids am I putting with, with which instructors? Yeah. Um, so where I am, that's a little bit harder because there's only two of us. So we, we but we do and do that is that we've got some kids that uh, won't go with me, some kids that won't go with my other instructor and I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. Um, you know, because most of the kids don't like me because I make them both. So, <laughs> <laughs> I can. Um, but yeah, so part of that process it is yeah, there's a lot of deliberate things that I do behind the scenes when it comes to programming that we all probably do naturally as uh, swim school owners yeah. But it's making make it more conscious of what you're doing um, and actually actually having it down sometimes and go, well, I've chosen this because of ABC. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just really looking at the holistic picture of what we're planning, what what yeah, our environment, our pool setup um, goes into our programming as well, whether we think about it consciously or not. Like we design our program around the pool that we have. Um, my lesson structure here since I've moved here has completely changed since you know from working in the city so you know I've had to redo my programming because going from city to country for the environment I have plus the type of kids I have I've had to rechange my programming yeah yeah all right what we're gonna do guys is we're gonna pull that up right now because that's about 35 minutes and I still have a ton of questions left for Alina and I have a feeling she's got a few more tricks up her sleeve as to what goes into her programming. So I am going to pause it there and you guys are gonna hear a lot more next week. So stay tuned next week, guys. Okay, so session one with Alina Graham done. We're gonna come into session two next week. 
So I have no idea what's going to happen in that part of the conversation because we haven't had it yet. So in the meantime, happy swimming. And if you are not back swimming yet, um, happy creating. Happy creating.